This is Stories with a Voice, a podcast focused on spreading understanding and compassion about serious topics. This season is called Students of Struggle, a series of interviews with college students and affiliates about their personal experiences with suicide. The goal of sharing these stories is to increase hope and empathy. The following episode includes a discussion about suicide, depression, and feelings of hopelessness, which may be triggering for some. Safety always comes first. If you or someone you know is not safe and needs help, please reach out and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent any organization and are solely the opinions of the participants. I'm your host, Virginia Henry. For this interview, I sat down with Isaac Sterland, a junior in college. I'm happy to do whatever. I'm totally open with anyone hearing my story. I just wanted to be able to help someone or help the faculty realize what's out there. Sterland has a glowing smile with long, dirty blonde hair sticking out from under his winter beanie. Sterland is studying biomedical sciences with a business minor. His hope is to attend medical school after graduation. He shared with me his personal experiences and what he has learned from them. What brings you hope? That is a really good question. Um, I think I feel hope most often when I can perceive someone else's genuine interest in me. And that, that comes through the form of people. Sometimes it's like my, my pet dog, but oftentimes it's the emotions I feel when I'm in nature. I feel very inclined to be outdoors due to the serenity there. But the underlying, the underpinning emotion that brings me hope is an investment. Someone's invested in me and I I feel that genuinely by more than just words. Is that what makes a connection safe for you is knowing that they're actually invested? In part, yes. Safe connections are super important. I've noticed in my experiences that there are enough people around me who are willing to help, but there is also a self-sabotaging nature of my own mindset that will try to trick me into thinking those relationships are not safe and that I should not talk to those people and get help. So like overcoming my own worries while still recognizing those connections are safe are probably the two main variables in that like component. How have you been, if you've been able to overcome those worries or combat those? That's a good question. It's a, I'm a biologist, I'm a scientist, so I compare it to the scientific method you have to keep testing and hypothesizing and experimenting and so for me some of the things that work are in the hard times I have to let myself feel that emotion and if I try to cover it up or hide it 
that only makes the problem grow later on. So sometimes I just have to, and this might sound different from what some people would say, I just have to lay in my bed and and be sad, give myself a time frame so that I don't let it overcome me. But I, I let myself feel that emotion and try to analyze it. And I love writing in my journal too. I think that's a healthy outlet. So then I can look back and see what I was thinking, notice patterns and try to get to know myself better. Have you ever encountered someone dealing with thoughts of suicide or have you ever experienced that yourself? Yes to both. (laughs) There have been multiple people in my life who have contemplated suicide, who have talked about suicide, and many others who have followed through with those actions and those desires who have taken their lives. Uh, Myself, it's been a part of my life. I don't know how severe it's been compared to other people, but it's a part of my life. Could you tell me a little bit about the feelings that you felt when you realized that people around you were having these thoughts or perhaps how you felt when somebody followed through and took their own life? Mm -hmm. It's a sobering conversation to have with someone. And as a person who has contemplated suicide, it still seems so urgent and foreign when someone else brings it up to me. And I don't know if I'm unique there, but it's a very, I, I feel very taken away when someone brings this up to me. It's And it obviously brings back a lot of memories I have from high school, where the high school I went to, each year we were having half a dozen or more completed suicides. Where are you from? I'm from American Fork, Utah, and I went to Lone Peak High School. Yeah. So my emotions, um, obviously my religion has something to do with how I process that, but the immediate emotions are just dark and um, the opposite of hope, as we talked about earlier, and definitely apathy. I would say apathy is a reigning emotion with my experiences around suicide. What do you think, for from yourself personally or from the others that you observed, contributed to that situation or maybe led up to it or made them feel that absence of, of hope? I think it's unique to each person. Some... Some patterns that I've noticed have to do with a culture that we live in. Um, I do not want to speak ill of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I do in my life recognize that there is a culture. And there's, there's toxic cultures everywhere, but my perspective in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that perfection should be and can be attained on this earth. And that creates a very competitive environment for us as mortals to live in. So if we're comparing ourselves religiously, temporally, scholastically to other people, we will always find ways, in my opinion, to come up short against another person. And that does not feel good. 
when you are telling yourself that you're never enough and eventually that becomes your truth. I can identify with that so much. The press for perfection and even though when you say or people say, oh, we know we can't be perfect, you know, <laughs> it's, it's okay. Like you don't have to. There's still that underlying pressure almost that we seem to inadvertently place on ourselves and sometimes it can cause a lot of really intense emotions for you what was it that or what has it been that you feel like has often led you down that road of thought uh i tend to be a driven person a goal-oriented person And I'm coming to realize more in my life that I don't like being told no. So that is hard for me when I feel like I have wholesome desires that I want to um, get accepted to medical school or I want to lead a society on campus, something like that. And when I get told no, my paradigm is such that my immediate thoughts turn to they don't want me, they don't like me, and I am not good enough for XYZ position or role. And that turns into a recollection because I've habituated this thought process for too long that I start recalling all of these scenarios and memories where I'm not good enough and that just becomes very heavy for me and it it kind of puts on these horse blinders or roadblocks to where I'm going down this path that I shouldn't and don't want to go down. I don't know all the things that happen in our brains in those instances. um, In my experience with counseling, I know that our logical parts of our brain just kind of shut down a little bit. And so sometimes it's a lot easier to have an incorrect perception of our reality. Mm -hmm. Is there any specific experience or situation that you would like to share? Yeah. Uh, I think I'd like to just share an experience that helped me realize the severity of my situation. Um, Over the past few years, I've, I've lived with some of the same people. And so I've gotten to know them really well. I know their highs, their lows. I know where they keep their, their journals. I know where they keep a lot of things. And um, one of my roommates in the past, um, and I haven't always lived in Rexburg here, but one of my roommates before was someone who had a concealed carry permit. And so they had a firearm in the house, and I knew where that was. Um, And I remember one night, he wasn't home, and I had fallen into this routine again where something triggered me. I don't remember what it was, but my spiraling thought process 
initiated again and I started thinking about all the wrong I'd done and all the reasons that I wasn't good enough and that's a really hard emotion for me to feel and so I wanted to not feel it. I tried falling asleep, I tried uh, you know, drowning my thoughts out on Instagram or some of the other habits that we might use and uh, out of nowhere this thought just came into my head of and I it may have been instigated by me looking up and and seeing his um, his firearms case but that just enticed me and I thought to myself oh there's another option that you haven't tried you know where his firearm is why haven't you ever thought of that before and at first I I pushed it to the side but what really frightened me was how persistent that thought was and it seemed foreign it seemed like it wasn't from myself but I couldn't shake it and I was really scared I didn't want to move because I felt like if I moved it might be toward this gun so I just stayed in bed for as long as I could and I tried to do nothing and try to overcome that thought. And since then, uh, I've used that experience as kind of a marker when I do feel like I'm in a funk to remember how I did feel in a, in a more severe case of depression and try to keep myself avert averted or averse to taking a self-harming course of action. In that moment, how, I mean, you said you viewed it as, oh, there's another option, but did you view it as, as an escape? I would say that's a pretty good description for me. I think a lot of times in my life, I get myself too busy I get myself uh, to where the water lines right at my nose and I would love for I think an escape but again I would revert back to the underlying desire to be understood and to feel worthwhile and sometimes if you can't feel that then feeling nothing at all would be a close second option in that instance, you said you just laid in bed and you did nothing. Mm -hmm. um, was there anything else that helped you to be able to pull out of that? Uh, I'm not an expert and I don't want to generalize to other people. I hope that my experience could be helpful. Some things that I try are... Um, I try to I think about some people in my life that I really care about and that's that's hard to do in the moment. I try to do that in what I call the in-betweens, in between the lows um, and try to build some of that that muscle memory in my brain in the moment. I just really try to find some tangibles so if I can hold my breath or focus, change and control my breathing at all or touch my fingers in certain orders. I just try to 
be in the moment and focus on something very simple. From your personal experience and your experience with others, what do you think can help individuals who find themselves in those lows? It's a very unique process for each person. I think from my perspective, some general uh, tips that have helped me or some general practices that have helped me are, well, it's, it's really hard in the lows. I don't want to try and sound like it's an easy fix because it's not. It is one of the harder things in life. My successes in the lows come from things I do outside of them by building relationships, by writing in my journal and building healthy habits outside of what have now become unhealthy habits. And I think that if I can change my mindset when I have what I feel like is more control of my mind, then eventually I can drown out or replace some of the negative habits. If you were in a similar situation again, what could somebody else do that would be helpful for you? Hmm. Some of the things that my friends and roommates have done is just to be there. Uh, I think I've said it a lot, but it's very unique to each person. So the underlying suggestion I would give is be genuinely involved in someone's life so that in their darkest times, they can recognize in their heart that you have been there and that if the only thing you're doing is sitting on the other side of the door from them because they want to be alone or across the room or next to them or maybe you're just talking out loud to them that your presence is more of a symbol of your support to them than anything you could say because it is really hard to process words and to think rationally in those moments. Thank you so much for sharing such personal experiences and perspectives. Again, you're right, like everything is really unique to each individual, but I think as humans, we're a lot similar, a lot more similar than we realize. Have you ever had a training to address these types of thoughts in yourself or in somebody else? I've had a few different trainings. I would classify them more as informal. Last semester, uh, through the pre-med society, we did do the QPR training. And prior to that, I have been involved in personal counseling and therapy. I feel like some of the tools I've learned there have stuck, some have not. And I think the ones that have stuck are the ones that I, I tried out and actually gave a shot. Do you feel that you can identify 
the signals or the warning signs in somebody else? To a certain extent, I think there are definite patterns that have been highlighted in the QPR training, and I think that's helpful. From my personal experience, the combination of those trainings with just a sensitivity to people's habits and their demeanor has been my best resource for gauging the mental health of other people. Just really being aware of the people that are in your sphere, in your life, essentially. Yeah, for sure. I am so grateful that you were vulnerable enough to share that. It's not easy to to share those things. But one thing I am trying to learn is that vulnerability is not weakness, but that it is strength. That is what can draw us closer to other people. I am just so grateful that you shared those things, and I'm sure that there are a lot of other people who can really identify with that. And hopefully it can help some individuals feel like they're not alone and inspire others to be more involved in their roommates' lives or their spouse's life or whoever it is that they that they interact with. So thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I just, I really thank you for this opportunity as well. I think what you're trying to do and what you're trying to bring light to is difficult but important. And I think it just needs repetition. If I would go out on a one-liner, I would just say, care about people the way you think they want to be cared about. If you care about people the way you want to be cared about, there's value in that. But taking extra time to think, how would Virginia want to be cared about, adds another level of empathy. And I think that's where we will find more successes. It's not a silver bullet, but more successes. I'd like to thank Isaac Sterling for sitting down with me to talk about the tough subject of suicide. Sterling is currently a junior in college. I'm your host, Virginia Henry. This is Students of Struggle, the first season of Stories with a Voice, a podcast focused on spreading understanding and compassion about serious topics. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent any organization and are solely the opinions of the participants. If you or someone you know is struggling and needs help, please reach out and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening to Stories with a Voice. Tune in each week for new episodes.